0: Hello, Dental Online Trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. Welcome to another episode of DOT ShareCast. Sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. Hello, Dental Online Trainers. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. And here I am in my COVID bunker, uh, i.e. my basement again. And I just want to welcome you to our Dental Online Training ShareCast. What's a sharecast, you might be asking? Well, if you are a podcast listener like me, it's sort of like a podcast. But I tell you, what I love about podcasts is that with podcasts, I get to gain a certain amount of knowledge and information, and I get to be entertained. Uh And, right? And then so with our sharecast, what is particularly important for me, understanding how valuable all of our listeners' time is, is that what we are going to be doing doing with our sharecast is we're going to be sharing. We're going to be sharing information with people like Paul Homley, a, a dentist who is now a speaker and a, and a consultant, uh, but we'll also be having some non-dentists with us as well. But what's critical, what's absolutely critical is with our sharecast is that we're bringing information uh, based on our knowledge and our experience that you'll a- be able to use in your practice immediately and in your life. And so uh, before we go any further, I want to thank Paul for joining us again for this is our second of our uh, meetings with Paul. So, Paul, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All
1: right. We're going to do it, Dennis.
0: All right. What I didn't, you know, we introduced Paul last time. So if you want to learn about Paul, go back to the first episode. But there are some things we didn't talk about. Paul, not only do you teach dentists and present to dentists and dental teams, but you've also presented to companies like General Electric, to Kodak, to Philips, to Sorona. So you've talked to people outside the dental industry, which I think is probably what's influenced you a lot about how you talk to us as dentists and all. So um, maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, but one more thing, what I did not talk about is uh, you have an incredible website in that for any of our audience members, any of our dental online trainers, I would encourage you to check out Paul's uh, website. He's got some great videos, free content uh, that I have found super valuable. Uh, But Paul is also a prolific author. Paul, how many books have you written? Five, five books. So I have a couple of them that are. These are sort of some of my Bibles that I have. All right, Um, nice. Right. Um, Just because you're leading doesn't mean that they'll follow. Um, Right. That's so true. And this is a book that I've really enjoyed as with my presentation stuff. Okay. Um, Just because you're an expert doesn't mean that doesn't make you interesting. That's right. Uh, and Paul has been, for anyone who's out there who wants actually to be doing some speaking, uh, I've gone through a series of uh, a program with Paul to really work on my presentation style. And I, I shared this with Paul. Um, he worked with me before I presented to the Equilibration, the American, American Equilibration Society this past February in Chicago. And it's an audience of four to 500 people. And through Paul's training, I can tell you with 100% honesty, I've never given a presentation that I was so proud of in my entire life. And I've given a lot of presentations over the years. Um, it was fantastic. And Paul, your, your coaching and your, your teachings just made it such a better experience, not only for me, but for the audience. And I had many people come up to me and thank me for the presentation um, and it was through your, your guidance. So thank you for that. But anyone looking for more information on that, check out Paul's website and his books because they're, they're fantastic.
1: All right. Yeah. Thanks for that, Dennis. You know, me speaking to groups other than dental, all that happened by accident. Uh, I you know, I would, you know, I've got programs, live online programs, live workshops on helping dentists uh, become speakers. I lead key opinion leader development programs for Armco, Serona, Densefly. I've done work with Align. Um, And and so I have logged a lot of hours working with a lot of the A-Circus speakers that you've seen out there. And what happened is that uh, one of the speakers um, said, hey, you know, my attorney could really use this stuff. (laughs) And I said, well, bring him to the workshop. Well, that led to me being invited to Harvard Law School, where I I've, I've spoke several times to the criminal defense attorneys. Now, there's a tough crowd. Wow. Okay. No huh. Then um, uh, one, of, one of my clients gave my book, that book that you just showed, just because you're leading doesn't mean they'll follow, gave it to a patient of his. And he turned out to be the chairman for the American Academy of Criminal Fraud Investigators. You know, the wow. kind of people that, you know, nailed Bernie Madoff, uh, Secret Service type of people. So I have found myself in some very interesting domains. Financial services has been relatively popular for me. Um, And and what it taught me was that, you know, as professionals, professionals, very few of us, whether we're dentists, physicians, IT people, financial services, law, um, regardless of the professional domain, professionals who are licensed by the state. I'm talking about high intellect, high content experts. None of us, none of us, Dennis, have had probably a single hour in training and how to influence those people we seek to serve. And, it's, it's, and, and, and if you would just sit in my seat for a while and listen to the stories, even priests, I coached the Monsignor for a diocese up in South Bend, Michigan. And I asked him, I said, Father, how... How much training have you had uh, in speaking? And he says, in a four-year seminary curriculum, there was one course he took. It's called homiletics, believe it or not. Homiletics, is, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> homiletics is the art of preaching. And and so the uh, the the, the cross pollination between working in these different domains has given me fantastic insights into how to deal with patients better. So that's where a lot of my stuff comes from, Dennis, is just paying attention to what other professionals are doing in their domains. So what's working for them probably will work for us too. What doesn't work for them probably won't work for us either. Right, that's a great point. You know, Paul,
0: I love the term you use, seek to serve. And I, in so many different professions, but it can be more true in dentistry. And I think maybe even with this, uh, being in the COVID period that we're in now, uh, I think that's really ru- even ring- ringing more true that we mm-hmm. are here to serve, and we have. I think I think it's been a calling. I think it's for those who love dentistry, whether it's the dentist, the uh, the administrative staff, the dental assistant, the hygienist, the lab technician. I think we have been served to call right our patients, and what we talked about in our first meeting was talking about comprehensive care and talking to patients about comprehensive care and how we, many of us dentists are challenged to do that. Um, Mainly we talked about fear of rejection, right? Patients getting up and leaving us. So if you could just give us a, just a, a review of what we talked about. the this is almost like a Netflix show, right, where you can okay. skip the intro, but if you're not quite sure what happened in the last episode, so okay. just give us a, a little tight review about about that before we go into our, our topic today, which is going to be case acceptance skills for new dentists. For new dentists,
1: well, here here's the here's the uh, little review of of last session. We talked about the 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 overwhelming fact that over 70% of dentists don't offer care complete care to their patients complete care meaning uh, of discovering all the conditions in the patient's mouth showing the patient all the conditions in their mouth and then recommending optimal care that would restore function comfort aesthetics phonetics and airway and that over 70% of dentists don't do that out of fear of either overwhelming patients, dentists, or losing them from sticker shock. How do I know that number is 70%? Well, because for decades, I have done anonymous surveys during my my seminars that I would do, where, where people would use their smartphones, and, and I would see the results. So that being said, then, then how do we, um, especially in the COVID-19 era, how do we How do we overcome that fear of losing patients or overwhelming them from sticker shock? And and what's ironic, Dennis, I I think COVID-19 is probably giving us that nudge, giving us that nudge to be a little bit more courageous about it, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Because there's abundant evidence that oral conditions can exacerbate systemic conditions. And if you look at periodontal disease, sleep apnea, you know, poor contours, poor margins, anything, anything that works against our immune system or compromises our immune system or or engages our immune system is certainly gonna make us, make COVID-19 more opportunistic with us. So cure, now- You're down my, inflammation, right? Even things like that, that's gonna be ab, Absolutely, yes. So, <laughs> and the distinction I wanna make here is doing complete care. I'm not saying that every dentist needs to do complete care. What I'm saying is that every dentist needs to recommend complete care. Thank you for clarifying that, because I think that's a huge
0: distinction that dentists have to hear. Could could you say that again?
1: Yeah. It's not about doing the complete care, because patients will have all their reasons not to do it, most of which have to do with money or time or opportunity or family issues. There's a lot of really good reasons why patients don't get complete care. Right. But our responsibility is not them doing it. Our responsibility is us recommending it right, and, and giving them legitimate reasons why and being able to recommend it in such a way that they can hear us and, and, and feel our concern. And, and so a big part of our last meeting together was How do you recommend complete care without losing these patients in it? And and I don't wanna say it's simple, but what you need to be is transparent and to tell patients, listen, you see on TV, COVID-19 is opportunistic with people with existing existing conditions and that during your exam today, I'm going to look for all conditions. I'm gonna recommend treatment for all your conditions. Now, I want you to understand that Some of these conditions you may not be concerned about. It's your choice not to treat them. But I don't have the choice anymore. I'm required to offer you those care. And and so by so doing, this is all before the exam now, Dennis. Right. We talked about that. Yeah. This is all before the exam. So you kind of give the patient a preview of coming attractions. And then during your examination, you have a conversation with the patient. Let's say they have a missing tooth over here. So, well, Dennis, you know where I'm looking here, you've got a missing tooth here. You know, patients of mine who've got missing teeth like this find that over time they lose other teeth because the teeth kind of move around. Does that concern you at all, Dennis? And, right. and then I would find out during the exam which conditions patients are concerned about and which ones they're not concerned about. So now when I do my case conversation, most dentists call it case presentation. I like the word conversation. Yep. When I do my case conversation, I'm going to start with. Uh, Dennis, you know, before we did the exam, I told you that I was going to reveal to you all the conditions. And, and we're going to do that today. And I, I'm going to start with those conditions that I know that you are concerned about, that you told me. And then I would list the conditions yep. and the treatment for those conditions. But then I would say, well, Dennis, there's also conditions that you have that you told me that you're not concerned about. Right. But, but I want you to know that I am. Yep. And when you're ready... I'm going to recommend, and then I would recommend treatment for those conditions as if they were con- con- concerned. Yes. But what, what's beautiful about this approach is that I've made it okay for you not to get your teeth fixed. Right. Right. I, I didn't put you in a position of awkwardness. I said, I know you're not concerned, but I want you to know that I am. See, I already said, I don't have a choice. Right. And, and that I hope Dennis slays the phantom of fear.
0: So, Paul, I have a colleague who, who's told me, he said, I've, I've never had a patient not accept my treatment plan. And he said, <laughs> because the treatment plan is based on what the patient wants. Okay. So my treatment plan is based on informing the patient of their conditions and them telling me what their treatment plan is. So they okay. always accept their treatment plan. <laughs> and I think very often, and one of the things that, um, as I talked to young dentists, uh, I do not have a pre, when I sit down with my patient after we've gathered information um, and you, you spoke eloquently about the difference between educating our patients and influencing our patients. That's right. And, and, and I will recommend anyone who has not listened to the first episode to go back and listen to that information because that's critical. And you can follow up with Paul with his books and his other teachings about that because that's the most important thing, understanding education first versus influence. But when I sit down with a patient to have a conversation about their treatment options, I do, I do not have a pre-scheduled treatment plan set out. I don't okay. go in there. I go in there to have a conversation with the patient. This is what we talked about. These are the concerns. How do you want us to, how do, how do you want us to help you, right? right. And then that's, work through the that's process. A good phrase we right design there. the treatment plan, right? We design the treatment plan while they're there. Because we have, and you talked about this, educating between different materials. We may talk about porcelain versus bonding. And if I walk into the conversation already saying this patient, I'm going to go in, I'm going to talk about doing 14 units of porcelain. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing that. Yeah. I got to hear what they want, right? And maybe their, maybe their price point is such that we may be doing some limited porcelain and then adding some prototype bonding or some transitional bonding to be able to fill out the smile to support the bite with the understanding later on, we may be transitioning that into porcelain. There's a lot of different scenarios. Sure. But the worst scenario, I think, in my experience is when I've gone in with a treatment plan and then not really understanding what the patient's needs and desires are and right. be open to allowing them go through that process together um, and, and guide them through it if they have, where they have questions.
1: You, you bet. And, and, and that's the big sin. You know, dentists have got their treatment plan, or, or worse yet, they do the exam on the patient, and then they say, Okay. Um, Good to see you, Dennis. Um, Ginger, my treatment coordinator is going to be in here and she's going to, you know, talk to you about your, your treatment plan. And so Ginger walks in and Ginger has been on the phone for an hour. She's got a hygienist that she's having trouble with. Two of the dental assistants are sick. She's been pulling her hair out all morning. All of a sudden you dumped this $25,000 treatment plan on Ginger. Ginger looks at it and thinks, holy Christ, I got to get out of here. So she walks in the office, she's ice cold. She reads off, well, you need this, you need this. You, then hands the patient a printout. And the patient looks at it and sees words like internal pterygoid and equilibration <laughs> and hyperocclusion. But, but the only thing on the page the patient understands is $25,000. Right. Right. And, and that, if that's the way you're doing it, hey, if that's the way you're doing it and it's working, don't listen to me. Check this right. off right now. Leave. Yep. But I I know it's not working for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless, unless you have a practice where you're a very senior dentist and people have been referred to you. And it's sort of like an old school dentist. I'm going to tell you what you need. And the patient's going to say, fine, where do I sign up? That's not Mm -hmm. my practice. I've been doing this 30 30 plus years and I still don't have that type of practice. But maybe there are some people out there who are super experienced and have that type of relationship. But I think that's far and few between.
1: It is. You know, my dentist, a guy named Dr. Mark Davis. Mark is retired now. And Mark is the guy, the kind of guy you were just talking about, Dennis. He's, he's been in Tampa, Florida practices in Clearwater for, he's a dear friend of mine. He still is. He did a bunch of dentistry for me. It's still in there. It's still going great. And, and Mark and I have these, and he reads my books. He says, i I don't do any of your crap. I don't, I don't need to do any of that. Right. He's one of my best friends and he doesn't use any of my stuff. Why? Because he's, he's been in town for 40 years. Yeah. And you know, and, the, you know, the patient walks in and he says, "Well, you know, Dr. Davis, you treated my wife five years ago, and she's been great. Well, it's my turn." Yeah. Well, hell, his wife treatment cost thirty thousand. It took six months to do it, so it's no surprise to him that he's got a mouthful of problems. I never had that practice either, <laughs> yeah.
0: and I think most of us do not have that.
1: Right. All right, so let's get into
0: our program for today. It's Case Acceptance Skills for the New Dentist.
1: For the New Dentist, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I, as we go through this, and I, I cannot tell you how many mistakes that I made as a young dentist when, when communicating with patients. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I used to talk dental language to my patients nonstop. <laughs> and, and I fortunately, I had a, and this is when I was practicing down in, in the city of Chicago, not where my suburb practice is now. And I had some team members that really cared about me, and they wanted me to be more successful. And so what they would do is they would sit outside my examining room with a clipboard, and every time I would use a dental term like papilla, they would make a mark, right? Every time. And they were just sitting around the corner. So I couldn't see them. Patient couldn't see them, but they were listening in. And literally, they were marking every time I said things like gingiva, papilla, um, occlusion, and they would make a mark, and they would write it down. And then I would owe them. I'd have to pay them every time I said it. It's like sort of like the uh, the swear jar, right? Where you had to put a dollar right. in the swear jar, right? That's right. So I had, and I'd have to pay them every time I said these stupid dental words to patients.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: And they trained me to start talking to patients as if they're people instead of young dentists. Right. And it was really effective for me to be able to start um, understanding the language that I use and how I use that and how I could start influencing patients instead of just educating them. Um, So, but that's sort of my experience. I wanted to share that because I was thinking about that as we were preparing for today's uh, conversation. Um, Paul, I know you like dental online training. You work with a lot of young dentists also. Yes. Um, And if you're like me, you find it really rewarding uh, working with these young dentists. Uh, What do they need to know as they're starting to build their careers? What What would you advise?
1: Well, you know... One of the reasons I like working with young dentists is that they listen, you know, they're they're still in the learning mode. They just got out of dental school where they've been students and yeah, they want to make a buck. They want to begin to build a practice, but they they still have learner's momentum. You know what I'm saying, Dennis? You you know, if, if you take some dentist that's been out 15 years and he's making a good living and he's got a nice car and, you know, he's on life version 3.0 or whatever, right. you know, some, some of these mid-career dentists are tough to reach because they're kind of in a groove. I'm not saying they're wrong, but the younger dentist is more, a, a more nimble learner. Plus the younger dentists learn via tools like we're using right now. And right. a big part of my career going forward is going to be using tools like this, getting on airplanes a lot less dentists, Yep. and doing this a lot more. But the young dentists, um, think about it. They're a new dentist. They also might be a new parent. They yep. also might have a new spouse. They also might be in their first full-time job. Okay? Yep. There's a lot of firsts for these dentists. But the one role they're in that they may not be aware of is they're now a new leader.
0: Oh. And, and it's. I, I don't it, remember seeing that. That must have been like a small print on the contract when you got your dental license. Like, yeah. Now, exactly. now you're a leader. Yeah. Now, I didn't now you're that.
1: a leader. And and that's the piece that is the choke point in the career. Dennis, there's plenty of opportunity for continued education. You know, dental online training, you've got all these institutes, there's yep. lots of, there's abundance of clinical training. Clinical training will not be the choke point. Clinical training, especially as young dentists, is so critical. That's what I love about dental online training. You show how to do it, you provide the materials, the videos are terrific, you're a, an outstanding clinician. And so that aspect of it, but the, but the piece, they can learn to be great clinicians, but the piece that, that they don't have this one piece their, their careers are gonna build, 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 but they'll reach a point of plateau. They'll plateau off, yep. and that plateau is gonna occur for many young dentists at about years five, six, or seven. Right they'll reach a point in which they'll eh, they're doing okay. They're making a good buck. They're yep. doing some nice dentistry, but they're but they never really break out of the seeing 50 new patients a month. You know, working you know three chairs at one time, grinding, going from patient to patient to patient. A lot of these new dentists um, are are practicing what I call same day dentistry. I'm not saying same day dentistry is wrong, but but after a while, you need to outgrow just treating chief complaints. And if if you have a career, if you have a 20 year career of tr- treating chief complaints, I guarantee you, you're not a happy guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when I look back at my my younger days, I really thought that my career would be really successful if I would just work really hard, and I would educate the heck out of my patients. Right, right. And what was there? So there were so many things missing. Um, and so I I know that you know one of the things that I. And that I love that you, you have so many sort of idioms or little, little things that you say. And one of them is standard of care versus standard of caring. Yeah, that's right. So for the young dentists, I think this is something that's really, um, I don't know, I, I think that's really pertinent. Could you, could you talk about that?
1: Yes. Well, you know, what, what do we learn in dental school? But standard of care, you know? We, we learn the, the process of treatment planning, soft and heart tissues, endodontic issues, And and then we kind of work our way up the diagnostic ladder and, you know, standard of care relative to preoperative instructions, preoperative medications, treatment, post-treatment, you know, instructions, post-operative care, prevention, consent, all that standard of care stuff. Standard of care stuff. And, you know, state boards, you know, test us on standard of care. Academies award our fellowships and credentials based on... Standard of care. Yes, you go to ninety nine percent of all um, major dental meetings. What do most of the speakers talk about? Standard of care stuff. Here's how to bond. Here's how to equilibrate. Here's yes. how to put in an implant. And and all that's great. Yeah, but all important. All critical. It's it's all critical. Um, my domain now. I don't practice anymore, dentist. So I'm I'm really not going to put a stake in the ground as far as standard of care. I've already done that, okay? Right. But where my stake in the ground is now is on a process I call standard of caring, right. standard of caring. Standard of caring is a behavioral principle. Standard of caring is the patient's experience that they feel well cared for in your presence, okay?
0: I think that some dentists will, will confuse this standard of caring to like the fluff that you can do in the office. Like, we offer headphones. Well, we don't anymore because of COVID, right? We have blankets. Yes. We don't do that anymore because of COVID. So, standard of caring isn't like this external stuff. It's not like the, you know, not sending the birthday card. Um, it's, you know, which is nice, which is all good. Right. Um, tell us more about standard of caring. What does that look like? What should young dentists understand or all dentists? What should we understand about standard of caring?
1: Yeah, you 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 make an interesting distinction between birthday cards and 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 aquariums and blankets and earphones. You know, these are all comfort amenities, customer service types of things, right. and 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 that's not wrong. Right. But what I'm talking about, standard of caring, is the inner experience the patient has as they're driving back from your office and they're reflecting on the moments they've spent with you. How do they feel? Do they feel overwhelmed because you've used dental jargon in every other word? Mm -hmm. Do they feel uh, disconnected because they didn't understand what problems they had? Or maybe they feel suspicious because no dentist has ever mentioned these conditions before? Or, Or do they feel peaceful and confident? Do they have a sense that, okay, maybe they don't understand everything that's gonna happen but they do know that, that you're going to give them the best possible care and keep them safe and comfortable. Dennis, I, I, have, I have had atrial fibrillation, irregular heartbeat, for, mm-hmm. oh, oh, close to 40 years, okay? And I have been in and out of the best hospitals, um, Charlotte hospitals, the Cleveland Clinic, and now I'm in Scottsdale, the Mayo Clinic, And I can tell you, I can tell you that patients, that patients can feel the care intentions of their providers. They they can feel, I can feel when my treatment is is gonna be dispensed to me in forms of a commodity versus that care is gonna be dispensed to me in terms of, first of all, a relationship, care in terms of feeling confidence and a relationship that i feel that i that i can i don't necessarily need to agree with everything so there's there's room for exchange there's room for conversation and and that's where that's where i feel that oftentimes standard of care conversations here's what you need here's the porcelain here's the collusion here's the margin right. Sometimes standard of care conversations can camouflage, can cover up the standard of caring.
0: Yeah. Right? That, that makes sense. Yeah. One, one of the challenges I think, Paul, with, with young dentists, I think back to myself. So when I say young dentist, I'm thinking about young dentists um, as a young dentist. You know, I didn't know myself very well when I was a young dentist, right? I mean, mm-hmm my understanding of myself at age 56 is much different than my understanding of myself at age 26 when I first started practicing. And I think that's got to be, that's got to be a challenge when um, to be able to know yourself and to be comfortable with yourself as you're talking to patients about and caring for them. Right. right. I don't know. Is, am I correct on that? Or we sort of guide me through this, this thought that I'm having as we're, as we're, as we're talking
1: about this. I think that's, I, I think what you just said, Dennis, represents maybe my final domain. And, and that domain is going to be uh, self-expression and self-awareness. Because before you can lead others, you, you have to be self-aware. Yeah. And and, and frankly, dental school and dental continuing education and our dental, dental teaching institutes don't touch at all on you know what? What are the what are the what are the attributes? What constitutes self-awareness? How does one go about dealing with that? And I'll I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. My experience dealing with young dentists that oftentimes that the female, the woman the young dentist, is more self-aware than the male. Hmm. Yeah. You know, oftentimes the male dentist might be more competitive. They may be more aggressive. But in terms of being collaborative, empathetic, being more supportive, I find I've worked with some young and women dentists that are just outstanding in terms of Mm self-awareness. So it really does begin with us. And I mentioned in our previous uh, sharecast together that one of my big motives when I was a young dentist is I simply... I didn't want to be poor anymore. Sure. Right. <laughs> I come from a very austere family. And so it, my, it, for me, it was more about fear than it was about self-actualization. It's the whole Maslow hierarchy of needs yeah. things. I wanted a nice car and a decent place to live. And, and I wanted to be able to fill my gas tank up without worrying about how much was in my debit card, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. after, after we get over those things, I think that the young dentist, I think the young dentist... a a terrific thing that they can begin to do is is maybe get into some behavioral assessments. A a really good behavioral assessment tool is called the Myers-Briggs assessment tool, Myers-Briggs. And and there are Myers-Briggs facilitators in dentistry, or you can can pull it up online. I think you can do an online program, Myers-Briggs. And it really gives you a good sense of Okay, where are you? Start with something like that. I think it'd be great for dentists to do that.
0: Yeah, we've we've had that done in my study club, and um, we've also done disc assessment, which I also find very valuable. And yes, it's, it's it's really it's it's helpful to understand how how it is that you will naturally react, or what you will be, you know, your your process, what your process of thinking is, and then to sort of understand this is this is who you are, this is how you process things, right? Um, which will then. When you're talking to patients, understand maybe how they process things. When you're working with your team members, how they process, how they react, right. and how you react to that. I think that's all very, very important information.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that, I've, that I struggle with to this day is I, I can take on a very corrosive tone of voice. My wife reminds me of that all the time, right? Be- mm-hmm. Because I'm, I got a pretty broad expressive range Yep. That if if I got a little bit of inner angst going on, it comes out. Yep. I, I I'm not good at hiding how I feel with my tone. Yeah, and, and 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 I paid a price for that, to tell you the truth. I know I've lost patients. I've I've lost referring doctors based yep. on that. And so the Myers Briggs is a great place to start. So so I guess maybe where we start here with the young dentist is understand you're you're a new dentist, you're a new provider, you're a new spouse, you got maybe a new parent. There's a lot of newness in your life. Yep. There's a mm-hmm. lot of moving parts, but the piece that you need to start nurturing now is your role as new leaders. And what, what leaders do, lead, what leaders do is conceptually, what leaders do is they, they make it easy for other people to succeed. They create environments where it's easy for people to s- succeed. Leaders make it easy for people to be at their best. And when someone's right. at their best, they feel better about who they are when they're with you. Yes. And when a, when a young dentist can begin to get conscious, I think that's what it is, Dennis, is develop a consciousness. Am I making it easy for my dental assistant to have all the instruments in the room? Am I right. making it easy for the front desk people to deal with insurance and patient financial arrangements? Am I making it easy for the other dentist or the hygienist? right? Am I yes. making it easy for patients to accept my care? Oh, good one. Yes. You, you see yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. So I, I think that's a good place to start. And and we mentioned in the last sharecast, um, I, I am open. I am open to having 15 minute private conversations with new dentists. We're going to, we're going to publish a, I use Calendly on my Perfect. computer yep. so they can They can have a 15 minute appointment and I'm totally committed dentist, to what you're doing in servicing new dentists. I am very passionate about that. That's awesome.
0: And Paul, I know we talked at the end of last episode, and we'll talk again at the end of this episode that you, you're generously donating some time to coach, uh, you know, dentists or or dental online trainers um, on a specific topic. Right. And this is the issue that I'm having. Um, and, and plus, I just, again, want to reiterate, going to your website, there's some great, you have some great information there. There's no, no charge. You can, um, you have some great videos, some great content that I think people will really, really appreciate. We'll put links on all this stuff on our, on our website to make it easy for our, our viewers and listeners. Terrific. So Paul, tell me with, um, let's talk about the new dentist and, uh, what do you think are like, you know. Do you have like a top 10 of mistakes that, that you find that, that dentists make, you know, sort of like a David Letterman countdown? Yeah. yeah. Walk me through. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I right at the top of the list is that n- new dentists oftentimes get kind of, they get kind of sucked into feeling sorry for patients who have got incredible conditions. Conditions that, the, you know, the dentist isn't responsible for, but- you right. know you, you might have a patient who's got obvious you know horrendous dental issues and and your instincts kind of uh, tell you that they've got some family or some domestic issues or financial issues you know they they've had enough bad luck in their
0: life, yep mhm,
1: you know what I'm saying, and they plop in your chair and there may be a tears coming down their cheeks or in pain and you know it, and you look at them and say, "Oh my God, this is just a." Oh, and what happens is that, let me give you an example. I, I've worked with the veterinary industry at a significant level. I, I created the new pet parent experience. It's called Pets for Life. Mm-hmm. I did it for a large DSO in veterinary. Mm-hmm. And, and veterinarians suffer from something called compassion fatigue.
0: Oh, okay? I bet.
1: I bet. Yeah. And in, in in a veterinary office, here comes you know mom and pop, and they bring in little Fluffy, and Fluffy's been in the family for fifteen years, and right. Fluffy's a cute little Yorkie, but Fluffy can't walk anymore, and Fluffy's hair is falling out, and in order to fix Fluffy, it's going to be and, and the fees for veterinary care, holy smokes, they, they can be ten, fifteen, twenty thousand, orthopedic and right. cancer and all yes. this kind of stuff. Right, it's it's not simple stuff. Well, in order to make Fluffy you know, well, again, it's going to be $8,000. And you know what? It's not in the cards. Right, right. And so what's the alternative? Well, we're going to have to put Fluffy to sleep. Well, you have that conversation about four or five times a week. Right. And what happens is that the, 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 there's a burnout of empathy. It's called compassion fatigue. And after mm-hmm. a while, we become almost dissociated with our work. You know fluffy becomes a commodity well right. in, in in dental in dental if you're if you're overly empathetic okay th- yep. that's something to guard against yes. okay, and depending on your personality, you didn't cause these problems, and you know what it's not your responsibility to fix them. It's your responsibility to show patients what their problems are. It's your responsibility to try to make it easy for them to get it fixed. It's right. your responsibility for putting in patient financing or business systems so people can, and, and, and sometimes, Dennis, you know, I hate to say this, but sometimes the best treatment for a patient like that is to remove the teeth. Right. Take the teeth out because tooth, you know, I, I hear it all the time, tooth structure is sacred. No, it's right. not. Right. What's sacred is tooth function. Yes. And in, in, in situations where I would have patients come in and the dental assistants are crying because it's such a basket case, Right. I would tell the patients, I said, you know, um, I, I'm, I want you to know that there are ways that we can save a lot of these teeth. Yep. But, you know, apparently our conversation has led us to the point that it really isn't in the cards for you. I want you to know that I'm very good at removing teeth. I also want you to know that later on in life when your situation changes we're also very good at replacing the teeth so don't think about what we do today or our next appointment as being the end point for you it's just the beginning let's yep. get you safe let's get the infection out of your mouth and then when you're ready we'll move forward i 'll wait with you that's perfect you know I think okay. the, I think too often
0: dentists and it 's not just young dentists that be, when they see these conditions it keeps them from presenting the conditions to the patients because they feel they feel sorry for them. Right. And look, I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories. I mean, it's important that, as you described, you have to have compassion and empathy, right? That's critical. Right. I'll tell you two, two different things. So my dad, um, before my, my father passed away, we um, I had to edentulate my dad and had to put him in dentures, put him in some overdentures. But I will tell you, it was one of the best dental um, experiences of his life because he was no longer in pain to right. make him look great. Uh, there was, so when my dad went into dentures, it was actually a very positive experience for him, right? He got to leave the pain behind. He got to leave behind the ill-fitting partial dentures. He got to leave behind the poor aesthetics and the poor function. Right. Now, you know, as I was trained was, you know, well, every tooth is sacred. Um, but for my dad, it was a great day when we were able to dentulate him and give him something that was better for him. The, the, the patients that I, that I struggle with now, Paul, in my career are patients who are elderly and have put in a tremendous amount of money into their mouths. They, they've had big reconstructions right. and then through no fault of their own as they've aged and they've started to have decreased salivary flow, they're on right. numerous medications, they're getting all recurrent caries around all right. these huge investments. And these patients, and I, and I express that, I say, you've, you've obviously- put the money into your mouth. It isn't like this is from neglect, but this is, this is actually out of both of our hands. And now we need to find a path to be able to find you comfort and, and maintain your dignity while we, while we do that. Wow, but these are patients that I still challenge with. I'm still challenged with uh, not feeling sorry for them because I do, I feel, I feel bad for them. They've, they've invested and yeah. they've, they've taken care of their mouths and now it's out of their hands.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that phrase you just used, Dennis, leave the pain behind. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that can be a powerful benefit statement for patients. Let's, let me help you leave behind your embarrassment. Let's leave behind that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah.
0: All right. So give me another one. What's another, uh, another thing that
1: young well, dentists and no, mistakes? Well, I'm, make. I'm looking at my list here. Um, young dentists who are unsure of the treatment plan. Here's how the conversation sounds. Let's say, well, and you're the patient. Yes. Let's say, well, you know, we could do a root canal here, or we can we can watch it, or we can do a an indirect pulp cap, or we can prep it and put a temporary on it, or we can go ahead and do the root canal. And but but if we do the root canal, we're going to have to do a post, and and we can do a crown. We can do a all cast gold crown. We can do a, a zirconium crown. We can.
0: And, you know, it just. I'm
1: glad I'm not a gun owner because. Huh? Uh, <laughs>
0: I don't know, I could take any more of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. you see, it's, it's being unsure. Here's, here's what you do. You, you, you look at the patient's medical history. What's appropriate for the medical history, okay? Right? Uh, and, and then what's, what's appropriate for their mental health of the patient? You know, what's appropriate for their budget? And then you decide, you decide optimal care and then present optimal care for the patient. But when you, when you start this, well, we could do this, or we could do this, or we could do that. I mean, what does that say to the patient, Dennis?
0: Yeah, that, that you don't know what you're doing.
1: You don't know what you're doing. And then you're, then you, well, the patient will choose all hell. That, that isn't going to work.
0: <laughs> you know, when, I'll, I'll find this, like, say it's just a single tooth, uh, an anterior tooth that's fractured off at the gum line. Right. And our treatment plan could be, you know, Morton Amsterdam would say, look, there's one... Uh, there's one diagnosis, there's one good diagnosis, but there's multiple treatment plans, right? Oh, good, I First, like that, I like right? that. So the condition is is that you got a fractured off tooth at the gum line, number 10. Right. So the treatment plan could be orthodontic, you know, uh, root canal and orthodontic eruption. It could right. be extraction and uh, place a bridge. It could be extraction and do uh, an implant. It could be extraction and do a RPD. So part of getting to know patients, we talked about this in the last thing, and understanding, not educating, but with influence, understanding what their desires are. So, mm-hmm. if I have a patient who's made it clear that they they want it to be aesthetic, they don't want to have something removable. Then, in and if you talk about this later on, we'll talk about um, that. We you know we we have to go through. Um, what those options are for informed consent. For consent, so that, yes. Right? But we're going to lead them, they're going to lead us into understanding what's going to be the best treatment plan for them. So I'll simply say, would you be interested in braces? Because if they say, I really don't want to lose my teeth, my question is, would you be okay with braces? Right? Because that's how we're going to save your tooth. We're going to pull your tooth down and then we'll be able to use right. it by putting a crown on there. But then they'll say, no, I don't want braces. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you want a tooth-like uh, replacement? Because then we'll talk about an artificial root. Sure. We'll about a dental implant, right? And that leads us down into, without overwhelming them, with all these four,
1: five, six, seven different options. Right. Right? And, and, and what I really loved about what you did there is you didn't tell them, you asked them, would you be okay with braces? Would you be okay with this? Would you be okay with that? That, that way you're not, and, and that really spills into like number eight of the big mistakes is giving too many options. It's like you're carving everything into stone. Okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. You decide. You know, and where a lot of that comes from, Dennis. I call it the the uh, the Trojan horse. The Trojan horse of treatment planning. Here's the deal. The young dentist who's broke. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about treatment planning based on your own financial comfort zone. Good. That's a but good the, one. But the young dentist. Who's, who's not sure about the patient's budget or anything, what the young dentist will do is like he did or she did in dental school, multiple treatment options. That's what dental school will ask you yes, to do. What absolutely. are the four different ways of treating this? Yes. Right? So yep. you go into private practice and you go, well, here's the four different ways of, of treating this. And, and what happens is that you, you run into all these treatment options. And oftentimes those treatment options are based on trying to determine, <coughs> excuse me, what will fit into patient's budget? Well, oh, right. yeah, exactly. we, can, we, can do, we can do implants and fixed bridge work and that's gonna be $30,000. Or we can do precision partial dentures, classless partial dentures, that's gonna be 16000 Or we can do traditional removable partial dentures, you know, chrome cast alloy, uh, that's gonna be $3,800. Or we can do a plastic flipper, which is gonna be $1,500. What would you like to do? You right. see, and the treatment plan is the Trojan horse to discover the budget. Uh, that's great. That's yeah. great. That's so true. Yeah. That's so and, true. And, and, and what I learned to do as a new dentist, and I thought I would freak out my, my patient advocate. We, we call treatment coordinators patient advocates. Um, and Perfect. the reason for that is that it's, it gives a patient a sense of value. Instead of, instead of labeling her by her job description, label her based on the value she brings to patients. Oh, that's great. Um, I, you know I got to the point where multiple treatment plans I was getting a headache listening to myself as a young man <laughs> um, and, and and so i I remember going into um, a men's store to buy a new a new suit because I was going to get photographs taken for my new office brochure, okay so I spent this incredible amount of money, I think three hundred and fifty dollars yep. for this new suit. But when I walked in there, the salesperson asked me. Okay, we like, suit? What, what price range are you in? And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Am, am I pissed off because he asked me about my price range? No. Mm-hmm. I figured, so that experience, I remember Joy, uh, was her name, Joy Millis, actually it was Joy Gaither at the time, was my uh, patient advocate. She was terrific, worked with me for many years. Uh, She's sitting next to me in the consultation area. I always had my patient advocate in the consultation area when I presented care. And I say, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy, you know, before we really start here, have you thought about your dental budget? And Joy looked at me like, I just like, what did you just say? Right. And you know what? Um, well, no, I haven't, Dr. Hotling. Well, the reason that I bring that up is that I'm real careful about not embarrassing or angering my patients. Oftentimes, there's multiple ways of treating things. I just want to get a sense for, you know, what will work for you. Have you, have you thought about your budget at all? Or would you like for me to, well, would you go through and So now before I present the technical side of care, yeah, I would approach the financial side first. Yep. All because of the guy
0: that sold me that suit. <laughs> That's fantastic. I think we're so worried about, uh, And what's what's what we're worried about our patients thinking we're just in it for the money grab. Right. Right. And what we're really what what you're doing is you're saying, I want to be sensitive to where you are in your life. And so, like you said, I don't want to insult you, um, but that's right. You know, I I think that's great. And and again, I, I do the same. I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I don't want to be overwhelming the patient and I want them to understand that I just uh, that I'm, I'm, I want to be sensitive as we're going through the treatment options, and I think that's the best way to do it.
1: and you're dead on there, Dennis. You're absolutely right. And you know, and so much of this, asking patients about their budgets or getting a feel for what will fit into their life, all of that is a nuance. That's an art. Right. And, and right. it means it means looking at patients in the eyes, smiling as you're talking to them you know maybe maybe another dentist has never discussed this with you before but i'm always concerned about the fees that we charge patients insurance and we're disappointed in dental insurance i'm sure you are too and i need to kind of get a feel for you know what treatment best fits for you yeah can we talk about that now and in that now the conversation is a conversation they can participate in right. if i have the conversation well there's three ways that we can fix we can open your vertical dimension, increase your anterior guidance, flatten the plane of occlusion. They can't participate in that conversation, right? not at all.
0: Well, you, we're going to talk about this um, in a bit about what dentists can afford themselves, but I think that ultimately is part of it, is that we, you know, we get nervous when we have to start talking about money with patients. Right. And, you know, cause our physicians don't do that. Our physician colleagues don't do that, but right. dentistry, we, we do need to do that and we need to be comfortable with that. And I think that's training that a lot of dentists need just to be able to be comfortable about what, uh, what the costs are and being able to have open conversations about that.
1: Dennis, I could not agree with you more. Absolutely. I, I think if anything for uh, advice for young dentists is learn to talk about fees yeah. Because you're gonna to talk to patient about treatment planning, what are they gonna immediately say? Well, Doc, how much will all this cost? If you go, Oh, well, I'm gonna get Ginger, my office manager, and then you bail out. It's it's like talking about money is beneath you, or worse right. yet, that you don't care. Exactly. Learn yeah, to respond quickly. I may say well you know, Dennis, I would need time to put your treatment plan together, but cases like yours typically can run between two to three thousand dollars. right? Patients typically take about maybe three to four appointments to do something like this. right. We've we got financing arrangements in this office that will let patients pay for it over time. Are, are you comfortable with something like that, Dennis? You yep. see, you just get done with it. Quote yep. the fee, quote yep. the time and treatment, and then quote the financial relationship, then ask. Right. Is that comfortable for you? They say, well, no, I had no idea it would be that expensive. So we say, well, that's why Dennis, I bring it up. Yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> so that's so, why I brought
0: it up. And you know, and oftentimes, like with complex cases or very big comprehensive cases where there's a lot going on, then because uh, I don't know what the number is because I'm not sure what the periodontist is going to need to do, what the orthodontist that's is right. going to need to do, right? So I, I literally will say, you know what, we, ha- we have to think some, in terms of a car. You know, because I, I, I know in my mind, we're talking probably anywhere from twenty five up to maybe $40,000, $45,000. Right. And I'll say, what I don't know, I don't know if we're talking about a Prius or a Corolla or if we're talking about a Mercedes. Because you're right. going to have to make some decisions, right? And so you may, um, but I do want you to know, it's going to be a sizable investment. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Right. I just don't know at what level, but you will be able to guide us based on what your budget and what your expectations are. Right. But it's important to get it out there, I think, so, pay, so that the patient isn't blindsided. So they're not, they don't have sticker shock and start having right. conversations early about it, right? Because then everyone loses. They get pissed and they leave.
1: Every, everybody loses. Absolutely. That brings us to number seven. Number seven on the top 10 mistakes is trying to overcome their objections to fees. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We had a whole host of salespeople come into dentistry over the last several years and they would teach us to overcome patients' objections. Oh. Patients will say, $1,000 for a crown, that sounds really expensive. They teach us to say, well, don't think about it as an expense. Think about it as an investment. You bet. Or, or they say, um, oh, I'm really concerned about uh, discomfort. I'm really afraid of Dennis. Well, Dennis, if you don't go ahead with this treatment, it's only going to be more of a problem for you when we have to fix it. Right. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to go ahead and do that today? and they talk about closing the case, Uh, closing the case. Stop that. Don't- Always be closing. Always be be, closing. Always be closing. You know, Dennis, the most popular profession worldwide is is teaching. The second most popular profession worldwide is sales. Look it up, Google it. Salespeople are the second most popular. Now, what's the probability that your patient is a salesperson or a former salesperson or married to a salesperson or their best friend is a salesperson? And what do salespersons learn day one? How to overcome objections. Once patients get a sense that you're trying to overcome an objection with a sales phrase, you're toast. You lose all your credibility, all your... Dennis, do you agree with that?
0: I think that um, in, this, uh, in our meeting today, I don't think there's anything more valuable than you could tell, tell a young dentist. I think, uh, I think this is gold right here. This, this is pure gold. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and,
1: and don't be seduced into, you don't need to sell. Remember, it's, it's about leading. Yes. Remember, it's about leading, not selling. And, tell and if you tell, tell
0: them the three issues with leading again, Paul. When you're leading, tell them the three things.
1: Yeah, as a leader, you're really responsible for three things. Number one, giving patients a destination of what their outcomes can be. And I really like your phrase, Dennis, let's leave the pain behind, okay? Destination are the behavioral outcomes that patients can expect. It, it's they'll be more confident at their daughter's wedding, or they'll be, or, or or they'll be more confident during a job interview, or they'll be able to eat well again. Talk about terms of behavioral destination. Number two, talk about the resources that patients that you have available for patients for reaching those destinations. Here's your resources: great facilities, state-of-the-art equipment, well-trained staff. Right. A, a high level of standard of caring, um, safety and comfort. These are all the resources. And yep. number th- number three is um, how do you give patients the confidence? There's the key word. How do you give patients the confidence to advance in the direction of what you consider their best interest? That's and and if, you, if you keep those three in mind, then th- that will help kind of turn you. So when the patient says to you, wow, I had no idea it would be that expensive. If, if, they, if they're surprised by the cost, yep. chances are you didn't do a good job of preparing them to hear about the cost. Yep. I mean, what is sticker shock? Sticker shock is the, the sudden realization that something you want is completely unavoidable, right? Right. <laughs> All right, Paul, so what's number
0: six on your, on your top 10 mistakes young dentists are making?
1: Yeah, th- number six is my pet peeve. This is the one that drives me to drink. This, this is where I want to shoot myself when I see this happening. Here, here's, here's the scenario, Dennis. Here's the young dentist, got the patient in a chair, dental assistant's over here. Dennis is calling out the conditions. He's calling, okay, um, we've got uh, the cracked uh, MOD amalgam on under 30. The tooth needs a crown over here we've got uh, tooth number 19 and 20 are missing this patient needs uh two implants and two crowns um i see four or five six millimeter pockets we need to schedule this patient with Rita the hygienist um, we need to do some scaling and root planning here and, and 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 what the dentist is doing is he's calling out the conditions and he's calling out the treatment plan yep. at the same time yep and, and here's what the patient hears you need, you need, you need, yes. you need, you yes. need. And, and there's no, there's no empathy. There's, there's no, there's no discussion. It's like, you need, yep. you need. Yep. And then the dentist gets done with the exam goes, okay, hits the button chair comes up. Hey, you know, it was really nice meeting you. You know, Ginger at the front desk. We'll, will talk to you about your treatment plan and, and, and good to see you and runs to the next room right? Because he's got three other patients in the chair or or something going on. Where where did we learn to do it
0: that way? Because I think we are all taught to do it that way. And it's so absurd. How how did we learn to do it that
1: way? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it starts in dental school or maybe it just, because it's efficient. Oh, there's no question. It's efficient. It's efficient. (laughs) No doubt about it. 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 It's efficient, but my goodness, you know, And, and, and I remember I was hired by a large uh, dental group practice. And it was a good group, it was a good group. And uh, the owner asked me to kind of sit down and listen to a couple of the, the younger doctors do case presentations. <laughs> and this one guy, I swear, it's always a male dentist that just confounds me. The patient, she's Latino, okay? Wonderful woman. But two of her young Latino children are sitting on the floor in the side of the operatory and they got little blankets and little toys, mm-hmm. right? And, and she's all worried and she's got a mouthful of problems. And the dentist is calling out all this and he gets done and says, uh, uh, you're going to need seven root canals or you're going to lose your teeth. You know, talked to Ginger at the front desk and he walked out. Now, his diagnosis was right. You see, he knew, he knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. What he didn't know, Dennis is after he left the room, this woman just broke out in tears. When she started crying, what do you think her two kids started doing? Oh. They started crying too. Oh. And I'm standing, I'm looking at this whole mess and I'm thinking now <laughs> where's the standard of caring, right. well, that's <laughs> you know, a great point. this great like, question. oh my God. So never ever call out the treatment. You can call out the condition, right? Call out the condition yeah right, and if the patient asks, well, what would you do about that say you know l- let 's get through the exam and then you and I will talk about all these findings, but don't- ca- start calling out treatment because you 're going to find dentists as we go forward in our relationship and doing more of these share casts that we 're going to talk about how to present care to patients, but oh my goodness don't don't call it out over the
0: I agree with you, it drives me crazy, and i 'm glad you said that
1: yeah It just right. it, it just it just is that's where the efficiency takes over, and you lose effectiveness. Yes. Yep.
0: All right. Number five.
1: Number five. What was number five here? I
0: just looked at number five. Poor oh. personal communica- or poor personal connection.
1: Yeah, poor personal connection. Well, that's that's what calling the treatment plan out over the patient r- relates to. See, connection is about relationship, and if the patient doesn't get a sense of a relationship then you're starting at a deficit you're starting yep. at a deficit see here's the deal um dentistry is personal right. right and patients want it to be personal to you too yes and yes if they get the sense that it's not that they can tell that you're looking at your watches you're talking to them yep. or if you're distracted looking around the room or or alarm bells are ringing off telling you you need to be in another room yes right patients can sense impatience yes. in you patients can sense when it's just another set of teeth yes okay and yes. And, and one of the behavioral skills that young dentists must learn is to connect with people such that they feel that it's personal to you too. Yes. And the way to do that, the way to do that is just be curious. Yes. Ask, ask more questions, lecture less, tell stories. Mm-hmm. Tell stories. One of the best things I ever did. This was in, I don't know, maybe year six or seven in my practice when I was discovering that that the patient education style um, everybody gets study models. Everybody gets face pose. Everybody gets this. Everybody gets right. that. And I was dumping all these treatment plans on patients. I, I, was re- I, I was realizing that a lot of patients were walking out the door because they just thought I was trying to sell them something with all these yes. gizmos. Same problem. And, yep. And, and I just got to the point where I got sick. I had these, all these little white boxes with the patient's name in my lab. Yes, yeah, with, with the Danar mounting plastic mounting rings still on them, I had hundreds of them. I go, oh, geez, this is just not right. Me too.
0: Been there too. <laughs>
1: and, and, and I remember the time. I do. I, I was I was working. My chair side assistant's name was Lisa at the time. She was terrific. This is just a little Southern girl. This was in Hildebrand, North Carolina. Just a little Southern girl. Just sweet and attentive. And they would just, they would just, they're all come from blue collar families and so they would just work themselves the fingers to the bone. I just loved it. I did. And uh, and and they'd sit there and they're listening to me talk about centric relation, internal pterygoids, and a lot of times they're just rolling their head their eyes. And I got to the point, though, where I was just, I could not take another set of study models. I just couldn't do it anymore, Dennis. I just, uh, I was ready. I get to it. Field, you know? I get it. Yep. So I, I did this exam and uh, sit the chair up and I'm thinking... You know, uh, and and Lisa's standing with the alginate trays, right, with the little little Bunsen burner for the flame, with the wax, right, patients looking at the fire, like what's that for, right? Mm -hmm. And here we go again, the 10,000th alginate we're gonna do. And I just told her, I said, Lisa, I said, we're not gonna need, we're not gonna need that. We're gonna we gonna do something a little different. Lisa gives me that quick little look, you know, like mm-hmm. you're gonna change, what? that? Right. Yeah, like ooh, something, yeah. like <laughs> something new, <laughs> something new. And uh, and I'm thinking, I mean, what is it that you would say to patients if you weren't going to talk to them about their teeth? That's what I wanted to discover, mm. because right. as long as I talk about teeth, then I put them in the role of patient. Yeah, for sure. But what if I wanted them to stay in the role of person? Yeah. See, th- mm-hmm. that, that's where connection occurs. Yeah. Person to person, not doctor to patient. Right. Now, I'm not trying to discount the doctor-patient relationship, but of I think the not. first relationship to nurture is person to person. You have to have that connection.
0: For people to trust you, you have to first establish that connection. I think, yes. I think so many dentists, and especially young dentists, uh, I'll speak for myself, young denti- dentists, Um, I was too busy trying to get them to do the treatment to be, to establish a connection. Um, Uh, and I never afforded the time for trust. Right. And I think that that's so critical, especially if you want to do more than single tooth dentistry. Right. You need to get beyond that and you have to connect with the patient, establish trust, and then allow the process to occur. And that does not happen immediately Uh, for most patients. Sometimes it does immediately, but for most patients, it takes time to establish trust. Um, And I think that you're absolutely right. I think that uh, too often we we bypass that just so
1: we can do the mechanics of dentistry. And and that's triply important for the young dentist because hey, if you're a 50-year-old patient and you got a 27-year-old dentist, (laughs) no kidding. They're thinking like, what does this kid know? I mean, he yep. looks younger than my grandchildren. Right. And you know, um, all of my healthcare providers now, my cardiologist, my urologist, right? Yeah. <laughs> my nephrologist. You you go down the list. Yep. All of them are at least twenty years younger than me. Yeah. Exactly. All of them. And and what impresses me are young providers who are articulate, who connect well. Yep. my cardiologist now his name is dr l mastery and he's the head cardiologist at mayo clinic it's in the scottsdale here. he's a big cheese he's a big cheese and i check in this is my first appointment with dr l master never met the guy mm-hmm. okay and this is about my atrial fibrillation right yep and um so I, I check in at the front desk and they say, okay we'll call you in a minute and they call me in a minute i'm walking in the hallway to go to the examination room but they stop and there's a scale in the hallway. So they weigh me and they measure me. And, uh, and they said, okay. And so I walked into the examination room. Guess who's in the examination room? Dr. L. Master. What's he doing there? That's what I thought. <laughs> he says, well, Bob, welcome to the practice. And we sat down. He, he was there before I was. Now, you tell me, how effective was that? Yeah. He's in terms ready. Of relationship? Yeah. He's ready for you. So, new dentist, here's what I suggest. Here's what I suggest. That new patient checks in at the front desk. You be in the room before they get there. Okay, whether it's a consultation room, when we get into more details on this, we're going to talk about the pre you know the, the new patient interview. You be in the operatory waiting, you be in the consultation room, you be there first. And that sends a huge message that this dentistry is important to you too. It's personal. This is great, not just for young
0: dentists, but I'll tell you, I'm guilty of that as well, is sort of doing a bunch of other stuff while they're getting the patient ready, where I could just be, I could be there ready for the patient. And I, I'm going to take that to heart, and I think, especially for consultations, just Absolutely. be there yes. and then welcome, and then they, they know that, you, that you're ready for them.
1: And with COVID 19 it's even more important because the less time they spend in the dental office, the healthier they, yeah. the safer they'll be yeah. all right let's go, let's go to number number four th-
0: this is my favorite Paul, because this is an issue that I've had and I'll, um I'll let you talk and I want to share some advice that I got from a dentist that was very effective for me, but treatment planning based on what the dentist can afford. Oh. <laughs> So you go ahead and then I want to share yeah. my
1: little thing. Well, you know, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. Here's a new dentist graduates dental school. Uh, what, what what a new dentist in debt now, like 300,000. I'm least, thinking at least, oh man, I, I went through dental school on the GI bill. I was uh, in the air force before I went to dental school and I was in the Navy after dental school. So I had the GI bill. Plus I worked full time when I was in dental school. I'm tired of being poor. I've already said that a thousand yeah. times. Right. Yeah. And so, Um, young dentists come out of school, a lot of debt. Maybe they got some domestic, they made some domestic decisions like having children, buying big homes, stupid things like that. Okay. Getting, getting overextended domestically or, 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 or personal expenditures, big cars or fancy boats or new golf clubs or whatever it is. Okay. You know, and, and I don't
0: even I don't even see that so much for my like my young dentists that are graduating from Marquette. I mean, they have enormous debt. It might be a half million dollars. Um, okay. And they're just trying to even get into like a, a small single family home, you know, just, uh, you know, a starter home. But they're That's half true. a million dollars in debt. And so, you know, it's they're you know, they are they are really struggling to find ways to make ends meet. And as we know, for young dentists, it isn't like you're going to go out and start making a killing when you come out. Right. So I think a lot of these, a lot of these, um, newer dentists there, it's just, it can be overwhelming the amount of debt that they're coming out with. And so, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a big challenge. I will tell you what helped me. Um, I have a colleague, I grew up very, um, like you, very modest background. Uh, my father, uh, uh, finished school in eighth grade. My mom uh, didn't finish high school. And so we, you know, we, we, we were fine. You know, we, we had, we had a fine living, but uh, we, we didn't have, we didn't have extra money for sure. And so I had difficulty telling patients that their treatment would be thousands of dollars, let alone 10 or 20 or $30,000. Right. 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 And a, a colleague of mine said this to me, he said, "Look, Dennis, um, He was like me, he said, you know, I grew up, if we took a vacation, we stayed at the Holiday Inn, right? He said, and the Holiday Inns are great. There's nothing wrong with the Holiday Inn. They had a swimming pool, we were happy at the Holiday Inn. He said, but you know what? There's people who have the availability to spend more money and they can stay at a place like the Ritz-Carlton or the Four Seasons. He says, Dennis, would it be wrong if we didn't have the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton available to people who could afford it? That only the only hotels available were holiday inns. <laughs> Would that be
1: fair? Wow, that's
0: a good that's a good way of thinking right? about it. And so that that really sort of switched the made the switch for me. And then I started thinking it isn't about what I can afford, right? It's about what the patient, what they value, right? Do they value this and do they want to spend this type of money? It's their money and they get to choose to spend it however they want. But I took that I took that away and I, and I think about that all the time because Patients, I don't know what they can afford and what they want to afford and what they value. But I right. do know that I can offer. I can offer it. And if they choose not to have that, then they, they get to choose not to. But that's not about me. That's about them. And that was that's, very helpful for me.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's very well said. That's very well said. And, and that whole, um, what do they call it, scarcity mentality? Yeah. Every, right. Everybody around me is as poor as I am. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that simply isn't the case. And, and I think that's part of professional development. Dentists need to grow out of that. You know, and an extension of that is number three. Number three is treatment planning based on what the insurance will pay. Here's the scenario. A lot of people have issues with this.
0: So tell me what you think about that.
1: Well, here, Here's the scenario. Young dentist comes out of school, goes into a, a practice to where there's maybe a couple general dentists already there, a bunch of hygienists, and uh, there's mother superior the office manager sits Mm -hmm. down with the young dentist and says, now you listen, we got all these different PPOs, all these insurance plans. Patients aren't going to accept anything that their insurance doesn't pay. So before you start talking to patients about what they need, you need to, we need to look at their insurance first, and then blah, 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 blah. And young dentists are just shell shocked into this belief system that patients will only do what their insurance Will pay, and maybe it isn't Mother Superior that's driving it. Maybe it's a senior dentist, or yes. maybe it's their own scarcity mentality. Yes, but, but based in a treatment plan on your ability to pay, or based in a treatment plan on what you think the insurance or hope what the insurance will pay, big, big. It's a career derailer. It's a killer. Yes, big I know. time.
0: I have uh, several dentists from my generation, and they, they started their practice that way, and you can't get out of it, or it's really difficult to get out of that. Right. So you're right. If you can, if you can derail, derail that mindset right in the beginning, um, it's going to serve you well as you get into your later years for sure. Absolutely, yes. Hall number two, not discovering chief benefit and chief fit issues. Tell well, you know, the,
1: that. Yeah, you know, we touched on that earlier. You, you need to kind of get a feel for why people want their teeth fixed. Now I'm talking about a patient now with multiple conditions, you know, sure. a patient, a patient who needs a cleaning or a simple filling it, to tell you the truth, probably patient education is enough, you know, right. good listening yep. skills, a smile, that kind of thing, get yep. them in and out. They'll, they'll love you for it. But I'm talking about a patient who needs a couple thousand dollars worth of dentistry, let's say, and they've got some aesthetic or some phonetic issues or some sure. affection issues to where there is you know, there's complexity to the care. What's really important is that you, you get an understanding of why the person wants their teeth fixed. What we learned in dental school, what young dentists learn in dental school is how to fix teeth. Correct. And in case presentations typically are narrations of the technical process of how we're gonna fix things we're gonna anesthetize the area, we're gonna prep the tooth. we we're gonna take an impression. These are called process-centered conversations. Those are consent conversations. Those aren't the influencing conversations. The conversations that we really need to have is discover why someone wants their teeth. What's going on now, Dennis, that makes this important for you? Well, I'm going on a job interview or we're going on vacation or I'm getting married or, or something. There's always a reason you, if you look at patients' record, and they haven't been to a dentist in right. several years, there is a reason that what's, they're in. What's and motivated them. them. It, what's motivated them. And number right. two, you need to get a sense for what's going on in their life. What, what do they need to fit your dentistry into? Mm-hmm. Are they still in school? Are they on fixed income? That's something that you deal with all the time, I'm sure, sure Dennis. Yep. Okay. You know, are they in the middle of a, 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 a change of jobs or a divorce? Or are they getting married? Those issues of fit, fit is my jargon for how does dentistry fit into patients' lives. And when, as a young dentist, as a young dentist, stay curious, stay curious. When you have a patient with multiple conditions to where yep. it's kind of a pricey kind of treatment plan and you see yep. that patient hasn't been in the dentist for a while, get curious and just ask, hey, what's going on now that makes this important for you? What's when you're uh, experienced there, dentist? I
0: think that's a great way to put it. I don't think you can say it any better that just simply asking the patient. So I'm curious what's uh, what's bringing you in now. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I have found that patients are pretty doggone honest. They'll just come out and tell you, you know, what I, that's right. you know, I had two kids in college. I, uh, you know, I've been worrying about this. I, I've all, I always take care of myself last And yes, that's a very common thing. And so I'd like to use that very often when patients say, you know, I always put myself last and they start um, as we go through the treatment options and they maybe, you know, they fall back into that. And then I'll just sort of remind them, you know, you, you came to us because you didn't want to put yourself last anymore.
1: That's good, Dennis. That's excellent.
0: And so is this, is this a challenge you're having now? Is this what you're thinking about? Uh, Because we want to get, we want you to be happy in the end. So, yeah. but I think that you're this the, the chief benefit and chief fit issue, I think is absolutely I think you're spot on with that.
1: Yeah. And and that's number two is discovering And, and the, the number one mistake is once you discover the, the benefit and the fit issues, the mistake is not including them, not connecting them in the case conversation. Start your case conversation with Dennis, you know, you mentioned to me that You're, you know, going in for a new job interview and you want to feel your best. You've been away from the dentist for three or four years, but now it's important to you. I understand that. I also know you said that, you know, your boys are in college. You got a lot on your plate right now. Uh, One of the conversations we'll have after I talk to you about my recommendations is let's talk about how this works for you. Is this something that we do now or is this something we do later, right? You see, I'm going to discover the fit and benefit, then I'm going to revisit the fit and benefit when I recommend you. Young dentists, if you learn to do that, oh, you're in good shape.
0: You're in good about, shape. It's about planting seeds. And we talk about this yes. uh, with, my, with my young dentist plant the seeds. Just don't worry about harvesting. So many people worry about harvesting immediately. Just get seeds planted. Just keep on planting seeds and just grow your practice. And then the next thing you know, you're doing this dentistry that you had talked about three or four years ago. And that's that's very common in my practice today, outpatients. And we talked, in fact, someone just about to start a big, big case. We talked about this four years ago. And it's just been taking time and confidence and trust and other lifestyle issues that had to sort of fit into it. And here we go. And so,
1: you know, I've never been to your practice, Dennis, but I would bet that you do more dentistry on patients who have been in your practice than on new patients. Yes.
0: Yes. I would say that that's accurate.
1: Um, you know? and, and for the new dentist, the new dentist, most of the dentistry they're doing is on new patients because they don't have any old patients. Right. And right. so they get into this mindset about always be closing, close, close, close. Yeah. Understand that it's, it's probably not a big sin for real modest care kind of get them in, get them out kind of cases. For sure. Absolutely. But you're not going to build a career on that. You're going to build your career on that, moder- that that more moderate to advanced care patient. That's where, that's where the fulfillment in dentistry comes that's when patients are the happiest. That's where wealth for you exists, right, in that area. And, and plus, it gives you a sense of self-actualization. It, it, it gives you a sense that you're contributing. And, and young dentists, and hear what I'm going to say right now. You're, you're going to go through phases in your career. And, and right now, you're in the phase where you're what I call in your consumption era sure you're still consuming things you you know your starter house your starter practice it's about getting getting life's needs met Mm -hmm. but after several years you'll soon shift out of consumption because you'll have the house you'll have the car you'll have the family you have the practice right you'll shift out of that not saying that you you'll stop consuming but it won't become the primary driver what you'll shift to is the contribution era of your life. And what contribution is all about, it's about taking those patients who've got complex needs and restoring them with ease. Contribution in sense of leading your team members, giving them security and confidence in their jobs. It's about contribution for those patients who you help gratis. Maybe there's some patients you just treat for free because you've got the capability to do it yep. and ultimately contributing to the profession. That, that's, where, that's where you're at, Dennis. That's where I'm at. Right. Is yep. that we've, we've, we've got stuff, right? Yep. We've yep. got houses and cars. But what's important to me, and that's why I'm so excited about working with dental online training, is that our emphasis is going to be on that, that young to mid-career dentist getting them through contribution, rather getting them through the consumption phase in style. Okay. And we're not going to be austere about this, getting them through that in style, but let's get to the contribution phase. Let's make dentistry a better place because you've been in it.
0: I think that our dental online trainers, and I have a lot of interaction through email and through our social page. uh, You're right. They, they cannot, uh, they're sponges. They just cannot consume enough. They, they love learning. They love getting information they want to be awesome dentists. Um, and they want to, uh, they, they, I I do believe they want to change the world, right? They want to be, (laughs) they, they really want to do great dentistry. I see it all the time with the emails I get in the, in the social comments. Um, and I, I think that's a great trans. What you talk about is that transition and, uh, it's fun being part of that and seeing these these young dentists just uh, continue to grow, and um, it, it's it's fantastic. And Paul, I, I have a I have a twenty four year old daughter, and it's interesting because I think a lot of young people tend to trust other young people for advice. And I had this conversation sure. with my daughter not too long ago, and I said I was very different when I was a young dentist. I sought out the expertise. expertise of polished professionals, like I look for a periodontist who had twenty years on me. I look for an orthodontist that had sure. been in practice for long, because I wanted them to guide me through it. And so I think very often um, young dentists may be suspicious of older dentists, older <laughs> dentists, right? Um, because they may feel like what we experience is different from that what they're experiencing now. And I will tell you, patients are patients. That's Patients are patients. Dentistry is dentistry, right? And leading teams is leading teams. And all the stuff that we've experienced over the decades in our profession, I think is absolutely the same issues that I had when I was a young dentist 30 years ago. It's the same issues. It hasn't changed. And so I, I I truly, I can't thank you enough for for sharing your wisdom and your experiences uh, and being so open with, uh, with all your information to help, help our dental online trainers, our young dentists and our, and our, our veterans just get better. And, and I know this has helped me and I'm already going to look at how I'm going to be in the consult room before my patient shows up, so that they know that I'm ready to talk about them and that right. I'm not distracted by another patient. I'm going to be re- ready waiting for them. I think that's great advice.
1: Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, great, Dennis. And, and next time we're together, we're going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts for mid-career dentists, dentists who have been successful with the bread and butter aspect of their practice. But who want to evolve into more complex care? That will be an interesting conversation right there.
0: Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as a reminder for our, our listeners' viewers, um, you can check out Paul Homily on, uh, on his website, PaulHomley.com, right That's right. Um, and then we're also going to be adding a link to your for an opportunity to have a short consultation with you if they have a burning question and they need some, some help with. Uh, so you volunteered your time to do that. So we can't thank you enough for that as well.
1: That's right. You, um, you'll, you'll provide a link to where you go into my calendar. You select it. It'll be a 15 minute phone appointment with me. And and let me give you some advice here. Have your question ready. Okay. Have your question ready. I I, I don't, we won't have time to hear your life story. Okay. But, so but have your ahead. question ready. And I just want to be able to connect with you and give you kind of a nudge in the right direction. But, you know, being a student of dental online training, you're in the right place and between Dennis and me and all the other content experts that Dennis will be bringing in, we'll be we'll we'll be cheering all of you on.
0: Paul, I'm going to close by just saying thank you. Uh, wishing you safety and health during this uh, COVID time, and uh, truly can't can't appreciate can't thank you enough. And looking forward to our next recording, uh, talking about our, our mid-career dentists. So until I'll next stand. time, dental okay. online, uh, online trainer, stay healthy, and we'll see you at our next
1: visit. Okay, bye everybody.